Hi, and welcome to Cameron's Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. Amen. So I wanted you to open your Bible. Would you have all the verses there, uh, um, Steve? Actually, I'm going to read two passages from the Scripture this morning with you. First one is James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. Second passage is Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And I'll tell you later on how these two passages are related. <clears throat> you want to go down or you want to go back to mommy? Uh, here we are. I'll help you out. Let's see you, Jerome. He doesn't want to go. All right. Shall we go James first? James 1, 22 to 25. How's your week been so far? It been difficult? <clears throat> Have you been facing some um, bumps on the road? Let me tell you your future in God's hand. You worried about tomorrow? Don't. Because today you have new mercies over your life. And then the Lord Jesus will continue to pour out his blessing and his mercies upon you. The Bible says that he, his mercies are new every morning. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. So let's, let's do it. I'll, I'll find it here on my, my Bible. Are you there in James already? But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what he says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Although my, my translation is different, but I'm going to carry on on that one. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what he says, it's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what he says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Or you're going to be blessed in what you do. Now let's read Matthew chapter 7, um, verse 24. How many are familiar with this passage? You know, it's a parable that Jesus tells. He says, anyone who listens to my, my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who built a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the ho that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. 
But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey, it's, it, it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Mighty crash. Father, we want to ask you once again this morning to bless us, to help me, Lord, to put across your word. Let your name be glorified. Lord, that your people will be blessed. Your word will be heard. And Lord, every single person here that is listening to me now and, and then after today, they will put into practice so they don't want to fool themselves or be foolish at all. And if they want to be prosperous in life, let them obey your word and ask us, Lord, to bless us through today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in, in today's world, it is easy to fall into the trap of hearing inspiring words like from coaches and mentors that only make us feel good about ourselves. And I have seen that many, many places, especially in churches these days. People come and they feel comfortable. They listen to nice words. God will bless you. God will prosper you. God raise you to be a head, not a tail. Let me, let me tell you, if there is a head and a tail, there's a purpose for being a head and a tail. You know, a squirrel without its tail, it loses balance. So everything exists. So sometimes we need to understand that. But people use that to preach prosperity in a way that the Bible doesn't say, doesn't teach. But then people just... You know, start to follow loads of people in the internet and sometimes get fed by their way of thinking. But let me try to give you um, a little bit of insight. Suppose you're following somebody. Uh, how many of you here have Instagram? Come on, be honest. You, some of you don't even know what Instagram is, right? Anyway, Facebook or whatever it is. Some people have Instagram and they have people that they follow or even on YouTube and they go and follow preachers, they follow speakers, they follow other nasty people, you know, some horrible people. Um, but they follow people that they try to copy them or they try to understand or even to listen to them. Um, but let's suppose, you, if you're not familiar with it anyway, but suppose you're following somebody and the kind of, let's say he's a, he's a, he's a personal trainer. He is a guy who um, starts to give you his testimony. He said, oh, I used to be uh, not very healthy physically. Then I followed this, um, you know, these lessons. Uh, I did this. I did some training. I did some exercises and I ate this kind of food or I didn't eat this kind of food. Then after a while, you see how I'm now, I'm fit, I'm well. 
And I want to teach you how I got to be this size now that I am. So you find that so unique and inspiring that you become so motivated to the point of spending loads of time listening to what that person has to say, taking notes, reading his motivational books, and, and how to get fit. Not only that, but you have also sometimes shared that with your friends. You know, I found this guy, wonderful insights. He's God, you know, you should see what happened to him. So you should go and see what he's, what he's saying. And then you tell your friends, he's a great personal trainer and uh, that you found online. And with a fantastic method and skills that you can acquire for yourself. And then you're going to get fit at no time. How about that? Huh? So even you got more, you know, excited than last time. But anyway. But what happened is, although you have passed on that to somebody, you heard this guy so many times, you have taken notes, read his book, but you still on the same waistline as you started to listen to him. And then you start to think about yourself, what really happened? And then you try to, and then you eventually found out that you're only listening to him. You're only listening to his nice teaching. You're only taking notes. You, you were feeling very excited and inspired. You even told people about what happened to other people, even who followed him. But you yourself have not yet come to that point because you only heard him. You only made notes about him. You only felt good about his teachings. But you did not try to exercise. There is no point to go to Bavi's clinic and have all that fancy, um, you know, nice treatment that you can have to slim. But if you don't exercise, I testify to that. <laughs> Why? Now, let me ask you one thing. How many of you have been Christian or you are Christian for more than five years? Raise your hands. Okay. Now put your hand down. More than three years. More than two years. More than one year. So that means we have here people that has been five plus, right? Am I right? So I'm, I'm speaking to Christian. Praise the Lord. So now you hung onto your head. You know, buckle up, because you're going to have, there's going to be some bump roads. There will be some turbulence here right now. I'm going to take a little bit heavier now on you, knowing that you've been on the road for more than five years. You know, if you are one of those people who just like this person who followed this guy, let me ask you simple questions. How long have you been following this person? How long have you been following Christ? How long have you been listening to, listening to his teachings? How long have you been feeling good about his teachings? How long have you been feeling so good about coming to his place and get together with his, with his uh, other followers? And feel wonderful about the worship that you uh, enjoy singing along? Let me tell you, does this... His teachings includes some practical exercise. 
Certainly this, this personal trainer does. Unless you exercise, you will not burn. You will not get fit as you wanted to. You know, at this point, you realize that all you have been doing is listening, taking notes, and I say it again. Eventually, let me tell you, the friends that you talk about, him, now let's say, Jesus, let's bring it to our context. You're following the master for quite some time, right? You're listening to his teaching for quite some time. Eventually, the friends that you talk to them about, this master that you follow, will start to ask you or ask themselves questions, why this person still the same? Or why he or she is not different than other people that I know? Why does he tell me that his, his master is so good, his teaching is terrific for my health for my salvation, for my change of character, for my change of behavior, but I don't see any in him or her. Let me tell you, someone has been deceived. Let me tell you, it's not the trainer, not the, the, the personal trainer, and not Jesus either, our master. And he's not deceiving us. The devil is not deceiving us in that way because we know the word of God. And James just said it to us. We should not only be hearer of the word but doer. That means we are deceiving ourselves. So my message today is don't fool yourself. So let us bring this example to our, to our Christian life on a daily basis. How is your exercise going? How is your practical Christianity working for you right now? The passage from James 1.22 is, And be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So it reminds us the importance of not only hearing the word of God, but put it into practice. It becomes ineffective if we do not apply biblical wisdom to our lives. In this text, the call of James 1.22 challenges to be doers of the word, examining the depth of this exhortation in various other biblical contexts. We will see what James is saying is referring to what Jesus has already said. But what is the difference between hearer and doer of the word? Do not be hearers only, but doers. What is the difference between one and the other? James 1.21 Help us to understand something fundamental about each person's spiritual life. He shows the difference between the two ways of dealing with the word of God. Some people listen to it. So some people are just listeners. They are just hearers of the word. Without doing anything with what they hear. Other people go further. These are the, the other kind. They also apply the teachings of the word in their lives. Now God's word is not just a brief flash of inspiration, but it is a radiant tapestry of truth. 
that you know and and guidance that seeks to you know to penetrate deeply into our existence if what i believe if the theology that i believe to prof- that I profess to believe cannot be tested here why am i on earth so what on earth you believe in hebrew chapter 4 verse 12 to 14 says for the word of god is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword it penetrates to the point of dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow and judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart do you want to know god's will let the word of god prove you let the word of god test you it does not aim to be a passing word if you know what i mean but rather to become rooted in our essence influencing every aspect of our lives how does the master's example teachings are shaping your life the first thing you see is the vocabulary that you use The second of course is the outcome of what you're thinking which is your actions whatever you think that's what you do every action starts in the mind it must you know resonate with our in our decisions words and actions shaping our spiritual journey through constant interaction with God's principles However, you know this journey is uh, of course is not without challenges. You know more than life full of distractions and urgencies often tries to keep us from this vital interaction with the word of God because we think sometimes we know better. So the difference between passively listening and diligently practicing becomes clear in three mo- in these moments in your life. merely absorbing the teachings without applying them is like building on shaky ground let me tell you it's an awful thing when you feel an earthquake underneath your feet how many of you have felt an earthquake now, i was in la um and i was on i was on the 17th floor of a hotel in la some years ago I woke up in the morning had a shower I was talking to my wife on the phone suddenly I I turned the phone off and another friend of mine called and I, I while I was talking to him um putting you know trying to put my 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 clothes on after I came from the shower I saw I looked at the window and I felt a tremor I said my lord what's going on and I saw you know a hotel moving like this I said my lord where am I going now you panic tell you you do because you're not expecting an earthquake are you when jesus is saying that we are wise to do what he tells us is because all the tremors and the earthquake will come suddenly and he says that when he falls will be disastrous 
That's why we need to not only to hear the word of God, but to practice because when it comes, when the, the calamity strikes, when the earthquake in your life comes, you'll be ready because your house is built on a bedrock, not on the sand. I didn't know what to do if I would keep on pulling my clothes or running like crazy down, down the road with my tower around me. And I would be ashamed because it was just, that, that's very normal. And somebody said to me, welcome to L.A. I said, sorry, L.A. is not a place that I want to live anyway. But on the other hand, you see, by meditating in the word of God and, and, and shape, shaping our lives accordingly, we are building a solid foundation that withstands adversity. Do you know why you panic when a problem hits you? You, be, you better check your beliefs. You better check the two lines. I like to, to illustrate um, this um, you know, like when you listen to the word hearer and, and, and doer of the word with the, with the graphic. I do, I do it here visually. I don't have a PowerPoint for you, but it's, let's suppose you have a 90 degree, okay, one line goes up and the one line narrow goes this, this way. So the line down here is your lifetime, yeah? Your time lies. The up here is the knowledge that you receive, okay? So, so no, that's the, the time. And this, these are also the, the ears, the teachings you receive. If your line starts here, and the life of your knowledge goes all the way, continues because you keep learning, but if your line of knowledge does not follow, or so your line of practice does not follow that line of knowledge, and then your practice goes like this. Let me tell you, your knowledge will just fill your head. It's going to, you're going to be a big head with no heart. Because you, the line of your knowledge and the line of the practice should be parallel. Actually, should be at the same level. Are you following me? So whatever the word tells you to do, you do it. Whatever God tells you to do, you do it. You know, let me go to the parable of, of, of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Closely linked to this theme. Reinforces this idea. By comparing the building on rock to building on sand, Jesus illustrates how our choices shape our spiritual destiny. And you wonder why when you, when you came to Christ, you're so happy. I'm in the first love for Christ. You do everything for Christ. But when the years go by, you ended up, so I'm feeling so tired and I'm not motivated. And I bet you better check if you've just been a listener, a hearer of the word. I guarantee you, you'll find the prognostic. You will find exactly what you need to do. Because the diagnosis is just that you have not been practicing what you heard. The rock represents the firmness of obedience to the word of God while the sand reflects the, the fragility of disobedience. You see, when we are disobedient, our house is shaken. That means we are not wise people at all. So the narrative warns us that the storms of life will test the strength of our foundation. 
Where are you building your house? Where are you preparing your future? The transformation of the listener into the doer goes beyond the intellect involving the entire the, the entirety of our beings. So this complex journey seeks to synchronize our hearts, minds and actions with the divine word. May we commit to reflect, meditate and live in the word of God, transforming it into a constant guide when God told Joshua to go and possess the land. God had already given them a promise that the land would be theirs. All Joshua had to do, he didn't have to recommit to God to give him a new covenant, no. He said, all he requested, if you want to be strong, to go in and possess the land, to conquer your enemies, to destroy everything that is in your way, that hinders you to come to the promised land, all you need to do is to be obedient to the word. Make sure that you do everything you've been told. That you obey every word that has been said to you by God. Listen, adversities should not be obstacles, but opportunities to show the strength of our faith. Because the trials and temptation that comes our way is not to put us down. That's the devil's idea. But trials and temptations comes not only to test our faith, but also to strengthen us in the Lord. Thus we walk the path of doers, witnessing the transformation of our faith into radiant action. This is what happens to us. Now, but how can we deceive ourselves? And there is something called the trap of Spiritual inactivity. And many are, have fallen to this trap. The spiritual journey often places in a school of delicate path. Where negligence is masquerade as, uh, masqueraded as activity. So we are all filled with things to do. Huh? We love it, don't we? We, we, are, we like to be religious people. We like to do things in church. We like all kinds of things. We, we can come to prayer meetings. We can come to Bible studies. We can come to worship practice. And we can do all, a lot of things in the church, can't we? But we can have the wrong motivation. On this path, it is easy to think that just listening to inspiring sermons or reading the Bible is enough to nurture our connection with God. However, James 1.22 warns us about the deceitfulness of these mentality, highlighting the importance of the practical application of the Word of God in our lives and the danger of becoming just listeners and not doers. Do not deceive yourselves. So the parable of the sower found in Luke chapter 8 verse 11 to 15 you know she has further light on this subject. So Jesus compares the dissemination of the word to the act of sowing in different soils types. 
representing, listen to this, this parable represents dispositions of a human heart. What Jesus is aiming here is to tell that dispositions of the hearts. Have you met those people who come to church and, oh, they're happy, you know, oh, joyful. I don't know if it's joy, but anyway, all happy, jumping up and down. And suddenly you see that person down and then disappears and come back. And then you see, if you, if, you know, I'm talking, coming to social media again, and then you see that person in a party, you know, with a drink in their hand, oh, happy now, then it's down again. When it's really down, come back to church, and then, and then God revives that, you know, up and down, up and down. One foot in, in, in the kingdom, one foot in the world. So the, the, the love of these things of this world is, 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 is more attractive than Jesus to them. So the stony, shallow, and rootless soil reflects the tendency to embrace faith without, with momentary enthusiasm, but without the support to grow and resist what comes. So the soil full of thorns, worms of worldly, worldly concerns that suffocate the word and diminish its influence. That's what the word does. So the world, the world has more influence over these people's lives than the word of God. And many, many places we've seen that there's more influence within the church from the world than the church out there. But that's another realm. But Luke 8, 11 to 15, this, this is the parable meaning. I'm going to read it to you. The seed is the word of God. Those who fell by the wayside are those who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they do not believe and are not saved. You see, say they are not saved. They can come to church, be overjoyed, jump up and down. When the trouble comes, they go back. Those who fell on the stones... Receive the word with joy when, when they hear it, but they have no root. They believed for a while, but gave up after, uh, gave up at the time of trial. Does any of these examples speak to you somehow? But those who fell among thorns are those who listen. But as they follow their path, they are suffocated by the worries, riches, and pleasures of this life and do not mature. But those who fell on good ground are those who, with a good and generous heart, hear the word, keep it, and bear fruit with perseverance. You know, the relationship between passively listening and actively applying the word becomes very clear when you read this passage. And there is no further, need no further explanation. But just listening without practicing lives vulnerable to spiritual infertility. You wonder why you're not fruitful? You may be just a hearer of the word. 
Because when you put into practice, that means you're seeding your seed. You put your seed on the ground. You're sowing your seed on the ground. Those who do not cultivate a fertile soil, a heart ready to root the principles of the word, may find it difficult for their faith to grow. So when illness comes to your life, you're desperate and you're afraid to die. Are you afraid to die? We should not be afraid to die. We should rejoice when we know that our time is coming. We're going to meet our Lord, our maker, aren't we? Are we ready to meet our maker? Are you ready to meet yours? It's like a story that I heard a couple weeks ago with a pastor from Brazil. He was just making a, a story. We should enjoy. You know, I remember when I was young, long time ago, I, listen, I used to listen to those songs that the Lord would come back for us. I used to listen to messages that the Lord is coming. We're all waiting and willing to go with him because we want to leave this place and go stay with him for eternity. But the people so grounded, so rooted in this world that when they, when they think about dying, they die already. They're scary. It's a scary news for them. And then this guy says, um, he could not imagine why. You know, Lazarus is in heaven. I'm going to tell you the whole story, but Lazarus is in heaven. You know, Jesus, when he was called to, to raise Lazarus, how many days it took him to go and visit Lazarus? Four days, right? So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, actually Lazarus was dying and he died. So it took him four days to get to the place. And then Martha comes to him and said, Lord, if you were here, my brother wouldn't, wouldn't be dead. And then, so come on, let's get over it. And Martha, you should know better that I'm here. And then, so where is your sister? And the sister Mary comes. And so, and he said the same, she said the same thing. You know, Lord, if you were here, my, my brother would have died. And then, so don't worry, where have you put him and then he went straight to the tomb and he said remove the stone and then suddenly now imagine Lazarus and you know when we go to heaven you are in the presence of God right you worship in the Lord I heard people that died and didn't want to come back whatever it is but uh, it must be a wonderful experience to be in the presence of the holy God and the living God and, and Jesus and all the angels that wonderful place Lazarus being there for four days imagine how wonderful it would be in your life to be in heaven for four days how would you feel for a day? But now Lazarus is there for four days and suddenly Lazarus is there worshiping the Lord and Lazarus hears this voice, Lazarus. I said, I know this voice. Lazarus, come back. He probably, you see this guy saying, Lazarus, look at this. And well, I probably, I've just been here for four days vacation. In Brazil we have a four days carnival um, the church sometimes the church retreats um, they, they use that time to go away for prayer and, and have a church retreat and then he uses that oh I just came here for four days of the carnival holiday now I have to go back imagine he's in heaven suddenly he has to come back imagine how Lazarus may have felt 
I'm already in heaven now. Do you really want me to come back? She Lazarus, I'm commanding you to come back. But, you know, but those who know the Lord, knows the word of God, are not afraid of dying. And if you have wondered why your faith has not grown, or you're not experiencing joy in time of troubles, you may need to think about if you are only a listener or a hearer of the word, or if you are a doer. You know, thorns representing worldly anxieties and distractions also defy active application. So in addition of rooting faith, we must eliminate the thorns that threatens to suffocate the divine seed of God in our lives. James 1.22 and the parable of the sower challenges to move beyond complacency. They call us to be active doers, cultivating a fertile soil in our being where the word can take root and grow. Let me tell you, let me ask you a question. Jesus talked about the, the seed, the word as a seed. And then he talks about the soil, the type of soil. The word the, the seed is the word of God. But Jesus used a lot in those days um, the agriculture style of that time to explain the things of the kingdom of heaven and, and, and his kingdom. That's why he said the kingdom of God is like a seed of mustard. And then the kingdom of God is like this and that. He uses many times... He made a parallel or, 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 or allegory, whatever it is he did, using the things people knew. Now, in terms of soil, when you want to plant a seed into the ground, I think Jim here is, is an agriculture. He's, 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 he's a master. He, he plants tomatoes, um, beans, you know, a lot of... Um, Cucumbers, courgettes, and what else? Uh, you have uh, uh, strawberries. So when you are planting, what you do with this? Do you prepare the soil, Jim? A little bit. Because it's been prepared for a while. But you need to prepare the soil. So, so you want God to bless you. You don't, you don't make it that seed grow, do you? So who makes it grow? God does, right? It's, 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 it's nature, God uses nature. Nature is God's creation, right? So then, he, all, but if you do not prepare the soil, do you water it? Why do you water it, Jim? Why do you prepare the soil, Jim? Because it needs to. So in other words, you are responsible to cultivate the soil in your heart, to take away the thorns that is suffocating the word of God in your life. You are responsible to take it out. Jesus will put in the divine seed in you, but your responsibility is to make sure that the thorns do not grow. Because when you plant the seed, I, I was 10 years old. I remember my dad used to plant corn, uh, sweet corn in one, one line. And then it would bla uh, black beans in the other line or the other whatever beans. And then the corn on the other line. So the, you have the, the, the bean in between. 
to support and give shade, rather would grow together. But he had to go after a month or so, he had to go and take the weed. Otherwise, the weed would suffocate the sweet corn and the bean and will not grow. So once the bin was grown enough, was big enough, would protect, less weed would grow, you would make less effort. You don't have to go back very often, but you have to dig, you have to take the, the, the weed, <clears throat> otherwise you would suffocate. You will not have a harvest. Imagine me with it. I was going all the way up, very slowly, anyway. But that's how we do. It's your responsibility to prepare the soil for the seed is your responsibility to say no to the thorns of life, to the appeal of this world. We are invited to collaborate actively on our spiritual journey, letting the word guide our steps and flourish within us. How many of you here this morning want your lives to be transformed? By the word of God. There is a powerful relationship between obedience and inner transformation. That's what practicing the word of God means. That's what doer of the word means. So the commitment to live according to the principle of the word goes beyond just outward obedience. It is deeply linked to the change that happens within us. I just want to read Romans, I think is my last verse today. Romans 12 verse 2 highlights that this commitment not only means acting by divine values, but also a complete transformation where our mind is renewed and revitalized. Do not and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may prove what the what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, in this sense, following God's teaching not only visibly influences what we do, but also affects our deepest thoughts and ingrained attitudes. It becomes your style of life you, you 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 get the mind of christ so when we embrace the word of god we look within ourselves in a way that goes beyond simply doing what is expected in the word in the world our effort to understand and apply this teaches result in a new way of thinking where divine values become the basis for how we see and relate to the world. Obeying is not just doing something or specific things, but rather is a continuous process of renewal, right? Where each choice is based on divine truth helps to change our way of seeing things around us. If we see the things as God does, if we have the mind of Christ, you know, it is essential to understand that this inner change does not happen instantly. But that's why the word asks us to renew. You know, keep, what is renew? Something that happens every time. And as we learn and apply divine teachings, our thoughts, our attitudes, and faith align more deeply you know, uh, uh, 
with what we believe um, is right, which is the word of God. So this um, shift directs us to live more virtuous lives and empowers us to do good things and powerfully impact the lives of those around us. So furthermore, obeying God's word changes us individually and connects us with the entire body of Christ as we share similar values. So this, you know, this sense of togetherness strengthens our collective efforts to live up and, and show that our faith and our beliefs matches our actions. So you walk the talk and you talk the walk. So in short, living according to God's word is more than outward obedience. It is a continuous and profound personal change process. You know, we have many biblical um, examples of obedience. I'm just going to take one for the day. The Bible offers many. But among those inspiring narratives, we see the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. It stands out as a shining beacon of obedience and unwavering faith. He's called the father of faith and the friend of God. Because his faith is followed by his actions and then he's justified. The story of Abraham, the patriarch whose name is synonymous with faith, vividly illustrates the profound contour of what it means to be a doer of the word. You know, after a while, God tested Abraham, saying to him, Abraham, he replied, here I am. I'm not only listening to you, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? Then God said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, who you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will show you. Imagine that scene. Abraham not only heard the word of God, but he internalized it, allowing its deepest fibers to be woven with the thread of divine trust. Imagine asking for your only son. His obedience was not merely an external act, but a, was a reflection of his intrinsic devotion to God and to God's word. When God said to him, do it, Abraham, Abraham knew God enough to know if my son dies, he has the power to raise him from the ashes. Abraham personifies the intersection between human obedience and divine providence in this testing moment in his life. What about yourself? Where God is testing you? What is your test taking you to? To the, to the place where you say, yes, Lord, here I am. Or you say, Lord, you know, I'm not really feeling, you know, like to do it. But let me tell you, Abraham, his act of preparing the altar, imagine. And lifting the knife echoes throughout the story as a resonance of a complete submission to God's purpose. So his trust in the divine promise was so deep that he believed God would provide a solution 
He said to his son, Jehovah Jireh. So it means the Lord will provide it. Because his son asked, Father, I can see the word for the sacrifice. I can see the, the, you know, the fire and everything. But where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham replies, my son, God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. When you see John the Baptist saying to those disciples, this is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Every Jewish knew exactly that he was mentioned in Abraham's faith and Abraham's act of obedience to God. He's the Lamb that God provided for your sacrifice. Let me tell you, my brother, my sister, God has provided enough to show you how much he loves you. How dare we to say, Lord, we don't want to do your will because you, uh, we know better. Let me tell you, if you knew better, your life would not be maybe in the mess it is today. If you have listened more to God, you would have gone through many things you've been. But even though you have been through all this in disobedience, in, in deliberate disobedience to God, let me tell you, there is enough grace in God to restore your life and to bring you back to full joy in His presence. Because there is nothing more that God wants than your relationship with Him to be as never been before. You know, Abraham trusting the divine promise was very strong. And I wish all of us would experience that in our lives. So the beauty of this event goes beyond the story itself. As it also anticipates the greater meaning, which is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just as Abraham was willing to offer his son, God the Father was willing to offer his own son, Jesus Christ, so you can be restored, so you can be saved, so you can be set free. Abraham's radical obedience mirrors Christ's supreme obedience as the Lamb of God who provided by God to take away the sins of the world. Let me conclude my message. You know, the story of Abraham is not just an isolated account, but a link to the divine plan. The story invites us to transcend the surface of words and dive into the depth of trust and obedience that nurture notable biblical figures. In doing so, we connect with the lineage of doers. Many others, when you read the Hebrew, Chapter 11, you see many of those who obeyed God, they didn't even worry about their own lives. They lost their lives because they were doing God's will. Are you willing to lose yours? Our obedience is an expression of our love for God. If we say we love God, we do not obey Him, we mock Him. We fool ourselves, as James said. We must overcome those things in our lives. So I want you to stand with me this morning. Thanks for listening. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you want more information about Camrose Baptist Church, visit our website, www.camrosebc.org.uk. Follow us on Instagram at Camrose Baptist Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Camrose Baptist Church, Edgware.